Welcome to Three Things with Rick Elias, featuring fascinating conversations with some of the world's most insightful people and three inspiring life lessons at the end of every episode. Today, we're sharing a conversation that was recorded in front of a live audience at the Charlotte Business Alliance's annual Economic Outlook event. Rick sat down with two friends who also happen to be CEOs of two of the largest companies headquartered here in Charlotte, Brian Moynihan of Bank of America and Marvin Ellison of Lowe's Home Improvement. This was an Economic Outlook event, so the first 10 minutes is all about the economy and how each CEO plans to navigate a challenging macro environment. Next, they talk about why they all agree that purpose is good for business how their own journeys inspired the way they pay it forward, and just for fun, what their dream jobs would be if they weren't CEOs. This is Three Things Live with Brian Moynihan and Marvin Ellison. Hello, everybody. It's great to see so many friends. You know, my daughter asked me what I was doing today, and I was reminded of Sesame Street's song, One of Us is Not Like the Others. So there's three of us here, but one of us is not like the others. It's really great to have this conversation with both of you, two of your friends. Let's start. The inflation report came out this morning. I believe it was 3.1%. It looks like the Fed is going to nail this soft landing after all. Let's start with you, Brian. You, a year ago, stood kind of alone, saying, hey, I'm looking at my data, and I don't see, I don't see what everybody else is saying, including a lot of your peers, saying that, that we're going to have a, a hard landing. And, and by the way, I was on that camp, too. So. Tell us your view of kind of where is the consumer today and sure. how does that play in your thinking for next year and next? Uh, uh, first, it's great to be here again. I think this is my 15th time doing this or something like that, so uh, other than COVID maybe. Um, but let's, so what we see in the consumer across the 37 million checking account customers we have and the 66 million consumers is they have slowed down their spending. So for 22 over 21, 2022 over 2021, the amount of money that went out in their accounts grew about nine to nine and a half percent year over year. As you turn to the corner to 23, it started to slow down and now it's running about three or 4% year over year. That's across $4 trillion that goes out. So it's a big sample. And so what's that telling is a consumer has adjusted because of inflation and what they're spending because of wage growth has slowed down. Whatever reason, um, they have adjusted their behavior. And that level of movement of money is very consistent with 16, 17, and 18 when you had a lower inflation, lower growth economy. And so that's a consumer. Now, on the other side, the consumers have plenty of capacity to borrow. You hear, check, you hear credit cards are up to a trillion dollars, and that's the same as it was in 19, but it is four years later. And so inflation adjusted, it's, it's actually Economy size adjusted, it's actually down 5%. Homes are worth more. The rate structure is slowing that down. Cars, you know, are, you know, people have bought a lot of new cars during the pandemic and stuff, so that's slowed down as rates went up. But they have the capacity to borrow. And then in the checking accounts, they're still carrying excess balances, uh, especially in the median income households and down, uh, due to all the stimulus. They've been spending it down, but not as fast as people thought. So the consumer's in pretty good shape, and you, frankly, why shouldn't they be? All these great companies out there, you have an unemployment rate in this market in the threes, you have an unemployment rate in the low threes, you have an unemployment rate in the, across the country in the mid to high threes. It's hard to have a recession if everybody's working and making money. And, and, and because of all what you do in your businesses, uh, that's done, so that's the consumer. Marvin, you see the consumer through kind of housing and, and, and yeah. all of that. What are, what are you seeing? Well, well, I'll just second Brian's comments. It's, it's great to be here. I, it's not 15 
consecutive years for me. I think it's like three years with a, with a gap year somewhere in between. But, it, but it's good to be here. You know, we're, we're fortunate uh, in, in our sector of retail, our consumers are homeowners or property owners. And, and so our core customer has on average $340,000 in equity in their home with an interest rate of below 3.5% fixed. So, so that customer still feels good about their current housing situation, even in an environment of sustained interest rates and inflation. But the unique thing about our business is 75% of what we sell is non-discretionary. In other words, whether you want to buy it or not, you really have no choice. If your refrigerator stops working, that is not an option. If you get kids at home and your washer and dryer is not working, if your water heater is on the fritz, if your roof is leaking, that is 75% of our business. Now, that's not very glamorous, but that is the essence of home improvement. And that 25% is kind of what we're seeing that pullback on because it's all discretionary. And coming out of the pandemic, we all spent a lot of time at home, and we all made a lot of investments in our home. And some of those investments were non-discretionary. Things like patio furniture, paved stone, barbecue grills, you know, enjoying the outdoor space, you know, getting your home office up to speed, et cetera. And so now those customers are having other choices that they can make besides home improvement, whether that's concert tickets, traveling, vacations, events, activities. And so that discretionary spend is, is what is, is more you know, under demand for us in, in our marketplace. But having said all of that, we still feel good about the medium to long-term view of the consumer. And to, to Brian's comments, I mean, this is a very resilient economy. Charlotte is incredibly resilient. I think we're, we're seeing all of the benefits of that. So just what's happened, what Marvin described was across the last three years, and we've been up here a couple times during that, is the interesting thing. What you also see in the spending, it's, across, it's, it's more level across all categories. So people, as Marvin said, you know, they, they bought the, the grill, they bought the outside furniture, they're stuck at home, they'd spend on something. Then they went out and traveled quickly. And then what's happened this summer was a summer of concerts because the, the booking cycle is so long, yeah. the preparation cycle, so you had a lot of those types of experiences. And the travel to Europe was much huger this year and other places out of the country. So, but as you come through into the fall here, that's all leveling off. So in other words, the growth that I'm giving you at 3% is pretty much every category. We decide gas prices are down a little less there, but it's kind of across all categories, which is a healthier place to be than having this ebb and flow of industries that benefit and then don't benefit. It's, it's mitigated now. Yeah, it's hard for riding lawnmower to compete with Taylor Swift tickets. That's a, so your stock, you, you're, you know, you would have done much better if Taylor Swift had not kind of come out. <laughs> just a, it's just an, un, it's an unfair it's an You unfair, heard it here first. Competition. <laughs> uh, let's talk about another soft landing. The great resignation seems to be over. I'm sure you guys are seeing the same thing we're seeing, which is you know, hardly anybody's really leaving a job right now. And it seems like the, the moment has changed from where it was uh, you know, two years ago, a year ago. What are you seeing as it relates to your employee data. The team's done a great job of working all aspects of uh, hiring, career development, um, benefit packages, et cetera. And so we are seeing our attrition has dropped to the lowest it's ever been absent right in the middle of the pandemic when we said no one, 
worry, everybody's got a job, and of course nobody left the company then because that wasn't a guarantee. So that was at 6%, right now we're running 7 right. And And that's a, that's a total company, and, and we share you know, retail and call centers and things like that to typically have a higher turnover rate. That's even for the jobs that are not in the top, you know, top four layers of the company, it, it's running about, it's, it's running you know, seven, eight percent, which is really low. And, and that's because the team's done a good job of building the practices and $23 an hour starting wage and then the implications of that. We did three, five, seven adjustments last year at this time, or last uh, summer of 22, given the great resignation and stuff. So it's, it's really low. And now that's even technology, which, you know, right. your business, so, it, you know, which is a little bit unheard of. And so we feel very good about it. Um, uh, and I think it'll hold here for a while because of just the stability of the economy now. Like if Gene was here, Carl was here, they'll tell you healthcare is a little different. Yeah. I think hospitality is a yeah. little different, yeah. right? So I think it may be a little bit sector specific. The 300,000 jobs that got created yeah. uh, last quarter mostly came out of this area. So what are you seeing in the, uh, in the employment side, Marvin? Well, I mean, we've been fortunate uh, as well. Our re retention levels are, are up and, and our attrition levels are down. Uh, you know, we, we ran into an era of incredible you know, wage inflation just because of the fact that everyone was trying to hire uh, and the pool of, of available candidates was not growing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because I think if you can pay people more for work, that's, that's not something that should be viewed as negative. But I also think that you know, Brian and I were in unique situations in our companies because we were open during the pandemic and we had, you know, he had branches open, I had stores open. So, so my store associates worked every day during the pandemic out on, on the front lines helping customers buy those things that we all needed for our homes. And, and my corporate staff was remote. And so it, it put us in a really unique cultural situation where you know, my stores were out working every day you know, and in an environment that was anything but normal and the corporate staff was 100%, you know, working remote from home. And so because of that, you know, we were aggressive coming out of the pandemic and, and getting our return to office, as we call it, process in place, where we, we, we brought as, as many of our corporate staff back to be in the office four days a week because we wanted to just balance the cultural dynamic that, that retail is. Having said all of that, uh, it, it's gone really well. We feel great about the culture. You know, and one data point is that we have an annual opinion survey we do for all of our employees, call our employees associates. And so I'm interested in looking at that data to understand, you know, what's on their minds. It's super interesting that your challenge of having to keep your staffs active uh, may have been actually a saving grace. We send everybody home. Uh, a lot of our employees moved, and we're having a hard time finding the right balance okay. uh, yeah. and bring up people. And I know that a lot of people in my industry are struggling with the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Short-term pain, long-term pleasure, and vice versa here. Well, there, you know, there was a trend going on by companies like yours in how you organize your workplaces and stuff that was just going on, and you know, that we work and all that stuff. You know, that was kind of the trend. So the office hoteling and administrative space are, you know, not frontline space, but you know, what's going on. And then what happened to the pandemic is you, you figured out you could really do whole, wholly different things. Right. Um, because the idea of positioning, you know, all, all these teammates to work from home, you know, we bought 80,000 computers in three weeks type of things and got them deployed to people. It's stuff you couldn't fathom. And so that, that trend which was going on, which was a lot, the hoteling space and all that stuff, then hits, you know, people at home and then hits return to office and then hits four days a week versus five. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's still a lot of work to figure out the right dynamic of all this thing and the right rules and stuff. But you just got to keep working. And, and at some point, we'll get all the equilibrium right. But all businesses are going through this. But people forget there was a trend about this going on already, which was about how you work. And, and, the, work. and the reality is that only a recession will move that pendulum all the way back. Yeah. So it looks yeah. like we're not going to have that in the short term. Let's um, look, I think the three of us share something in common, which is a deep commitment to leveling the playing field. We know that jobs at the end of the day is really what creates really economic mobility and what creates opportunity. And yeah. the two of you, you lead from in front of this and you make this a corporate priority. So Marvin, tell us how you think about this investment because it's really an investment and you have to probably protect it, especially in times like this. And you know, how do you make sure that it doesn't get cut back when things get tough? Well, I just, Look, I think first and foremost, uh, companies that operate in communities, whether it's corporate offices or, or branches or stores, think you have an obligation to be part of the solution. Oftentimes, this is obviously my opinion, I think we lean too hard on local and state and federal government to solve issues that I think companies can contribute, not only philanthropy, but, but your intellect and volunteerism and a lot of different things. because. How an environment community operates directly correlates our ability to recruit and retain talent. Right. Uh, and I, I know for, for us at, at Lowe's, you know, besides my personal commitment, the company's committed to ensuring that you know, we are good corporate citizens. For, for a guy who had the pleasure of starting his career as an, as an hourly part-time employee in retail, it, it gives you, a, given me, a, a unique vantage point of what it feels like to be an associate trying to make ends meet and, and trying to be in an environment where you hope you can grow not only a, a job but grow a career. And we're committed to being a part of the solution in the community from a, a philanthropic perspective. In my, my perspective is, is quite simple when it comes to shareholder value. And I, I say this to my team and to my board. It comes down to making sure that you give customers the respect that they deserve when they come in the shop that you give your employees, that we call associates, a great place to work that can turn into a career that they can take care of their families and fulfill their dreams and make your community better. So, so I'm a big believer that, that those three things done concurrently you know, will create the shareholder value that, that, that we hope to create for the people that you know, invest in our stock. And, and that's, that, that's a flywheel effect that, that we're still trying to, to maintain and, and get moving in the direction that I'd like it to go in. Brian, before you answer, you know, one of the things that has really impressed me about you is that while your business is headquartered here, you're not headquartered here, but you treat it like you are headquartered here. When you ran the CLC before Mike ran it, I was so impressed by the fact, you know, you never missed a call, you never missed a meeting, and you let like this was your city. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that because I don't think a lot of people kind of really understand that about you, Brian and you, how you lean in into the initiatives yeah. locally. So on behalf of everybody here, yeah. thank you, because yeah. other people would have not done that. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. And as important, you know, as it relates to really providing access to jobs to people yeah. that wouldn't have that opportunity, yeah. you are literally way ahead of everybody and super committed. Let's talk about that. Well, so. When we look at our company, we try to be a company of opportunity, and that, and Marvin's point was, started as a part-time person and worked themselves to be the CEO of Lowe's. Starting, we want 
people to have a career mindset. And that goes to that turnover question. And so what do we do? We hired people and started at you know, $23 an hour for out of, get out of high school, 401k, strong benefits, childcare, uh, tuition reimbursement up front, all these things we've stacked in to, to drive that. But when we look outside our company, we said, how can we create more opportunity outside our company? And that's where we think about two things. One, so we, we, we announced a program eight, 10 years ago, Dean Athlete Asia and the team in retail. We were gonna hire 10,000 people from low and moderate income communities into our company in five years. We did it about three. We our second 10,000 commitment. What we do with veterans, the same thing. We could hire 10,000 veterans. So we're always saying, how can you bring people into the company that might not find their way here to give them, give them an opportunity? And that, that's tremendous. Then the question is, when you think about it with a CLC or we think about it with a different CEO groups around the country, uh, 110, et cetera, all these companies and all these companies out here, if somebody can get attached to us, you know, and we can invest in them, that's a tremendous thing. And so then we got to aim that, like you've built for years, we just have to aim that effort at the right places to pull more people in. So people, you know, I, I always found it when, you know, a few years ago when everybody was talking about, you know, hiring diversity and things like that, you said, well, if you only go here, you're only going to get people who, who are there. If you go over here, maybe it's different. And so we broadened out, you've broadened out, but it's been interesting in what you know, you've done with your technology training program, th that idea of interceding in places that are very diverse, provide opportunity and do it across that. But it takes all the companies and community, and that's why it's been so fun to work with the, group, the groups here in Charlotte, whether it's a regional partnership with others, and right. is that they all have that interest in saying how we can do it. So the opportunity we're gonna create is give a person a job. They may leave our company and go work for somewhere else, but they're not, that's, that's success. That's right. I, I don't, yeah, I want everybody to work for us the rest of their life, but the reality is if they leave and go work for another company, that's success for us because they've gotten into a career path that's different. And that's, that's why big employers have responsibilities to, to reach to places. Smaller employers may not be able to do it because the, they don't have the people to go look. But once you do that, you know, we just have to train and, and bring people along and do it. So the idea of create an opportunity in your company, look out the window. You know, that's looking in the mirror, then look out the window and create the opportunity outside your country. I think no one does it better than the two of you probably in the country. So I'm uh, proud to be a partner with you guys on some of this stuff. I'm going to pivot, but first of all, I want to apologize to the person running the confidence monitor because I rewrote my own questions. <laughs> so I feel bad. This thing keeps scrolling, looking for our conversation. They're trying to find so out. So you where can you leave are. it alone. We're fine. Yeah. Uh, so, um, the, uh, let's talk about our city. We're all super proud of this great city that we all invest in all the time. You guys operate in many other cities as well. So what, what do you think gives? Charlotte an advantage, or the Charlotte region an advantage over other regions, and I'm talking really more specifically about Dallas, Austin, Nashville, you know, places that we really compete for yeah. talent and jobs. Look, I think it all starts with, you know, relationships. You know, my dad taught me a long time ago that people will do more for you because they like you than for any other reason. And it's a, a great example of, of partnerships. You know, when I arrived here, I just, you know, we were shifting all of our marketing focus to the NFL. And I had a chance meeting with Fred Whitfield, and we sat down and we talked, and, and then he started to talk about his passion for the city of Charlotte and all the philanthropic things that were happening here that he was leading in his own charity. And so I did a little research to make sure that what he was telling me was valid, <laughs> and I found out that he left a lot of things out, that there was even more things that he was doing. And as a result of that relationship, 
you know, the only NBA, NBA team in the country that Lowe's is a sponsor with is the Charlotte Hornets. But again, we have lots of examples with Queens University, Johnson C. Smith, uh, the Demers, you know, initiative on racial equity. So many things that, that we're committed to because all of these things you know, will make this a great community, but it starts with relationships. I just got asked this the other day in a, in a different place, but there, what we have in this community is unique and people shouldn't take it for granted, which is the ability to work across public sector, private sector, you know, schools and stuff. When, when, when I tell other you know, CEO groups or something, we're sitting in the room saying, how do you solve the problem of learning loss during the pandemic? And I said, well, you know, everybody has a problem. And this doesn't mean that we don't have a lot of work to do. But the reality is, you know, Mike and you are working closely and have, we have teammates that were seconded in to help. They're, they're, they look at me like I'm crazy. You actually have teammates across those companies are working and trying to help. And, you know, just the cooperation level is very high. When a bunch of years ago when we wanted to do more development, he, he ran around and grabbed us all and we, you know, put some equity up to try to do that. A bunch of years ago when we got hit over the head with the opportunity results, you know, we said, what can we do? And that gave rise to the mayor's effort and other efforts. And so, uh, so if you think about the spirit of community support, the spirit of working together, um, and it's, it's tough stuff. I mean, it's, it's hard. And, and so I think that's just unique. And, and, and believe me, we, we can't take it for granted. It does not exist in many places no. where the business community is a welcome um, uh, discussion partner and operating partner right. with institutions. Right. Um, and, you know, look, in the, at the end of the day, the private sector has got to lead every change that's going to happen. It's going to be successful because then it has to stick to the ribs. Government programs sped and they go away. When somebody changes it, you know, you're going to have 60% of the population is going to have an election for the leader of their country over the next year. Mm -hmm. And right. that'll change policies all over. This, Marvin will have lows running next year and the next year. As I always say, we've been around since 1784, the oldest part of the company. And you sort of said, you know, we've been through a lot of elections, but it's the private sector that will be there before and after, whether it's about the environment, whether it's about education. Charlotte's a place that actually lets you go to work. Other places, they, oh, yeah, that's right. Can you just give us some money? Yeah. They won't oh, let yeah. you help try to solve the business question, the business, the systemic question of how do you try it. And that doesn't mean we've got it solved. That doesn't mean we're done, but, that, but at least you try that. Yeah. I, I've been surprised sitting in meetings of small groups of CEOs how much everybody cares deeply about Charlotte and is willing to lean in with no agenda. A lot of times is all the bank CEOs, like they're not competitors at that moment. And uh, I think it's super unique that we in the city have such strong leadership from the business sides. You know, what, what are the things that you think will hold us back as a region? It, it's gonna be talent. Being an open, you know, the population grows here, which is better than a lot of places, but you know, you've got to have uh, population growth, you've got to have deeper pools of workers, you've got to have education, you've got to support businesses. You know, it, when people talk about, you know, artificial intelligence, it's like, it's going to do this. But between here and there, there's every piece of data, <laughs> every, all kinds of work that has to go on to organize that data, put it in the right place. There's data scrubbing, there's learning how to use it, there's how to apply it, how to audit it, how to test it. There's m millions of jobs to make this thing at all effective. Because right. when you're asking it, you know, you know some question where you really don't bet your life on the answer, it works. When you have to bet your life on the answer, yeah. or bet someone else's life on the answer, that's when it's, it's, so there's just tremendous work, but it's gonna be about talent. And that's why 
we have to invest in the school systems all the way from you know, pre-K through, um, uh, through CPCC, through the colleges and stuff. We, we have to do that. And we have to be a place where young kids can come and work and love it. And, and that's, mm. that's the housing question, honestly. How about you, Marvin? I, th I think it's talent and I think it's bureaucracy. I mean, we just have to continue to be focused on solutions and getting things done quickly. Uh, and I, I do think the public-private partnerships here is as good as any place I've lived, and I've lived in, in quite a few large cities. Uh, and I think the, the focus on the urgency of getting things done quickly uh, and then moving on to the next challenge ahead is, is going to be important. I mean, we, we built this big, huge, you know, global technology center on the south end with a lot of partnership from the city uh, and the state to recruit tech talent uh, to, to Charlotte because we, we know that we have some of the best universities in the world in this state. And, and we felt like that we wanted to keep that talent here and also recruit from other parts of the world to Charlotte. And we've been able to do that even you know, coming out of, of this pandemic where there's still a lot of remote work, specifically in that sector of business, we've been able to leverage you know, that, that magnificent location to attract talent, but we just want to move fast. And yeah. I think that's the key. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, public partnership, a lot of people underestimate how Charlotte is structured and the fact that it is a city that doesn't have embedded bureaucracy or political bent at the level that other cities do. And it has an imperfect things about it, but I think our structure is unique. And the fact that there's a lot of debate on, you know, should we change it or not, but I think it's an important element. Let's talk about the challenges of growth. And where do you think, if you were, you know, really running Charlotte for a day, what are the things that you think we need to be investing for the next decade ahead as a city? I think it's in talent development. I think it's you know, both specific and broad-based, and I, okay. I think it continued. And then infrastructure, because as I said before, you know, this city has been a very attractive for you. When I, when I came out of law school in the early 80s, you know, Atlanta was the place in the southeast that everybody I went to Notre Dame Law School, so people went all over the country. So it was Phoenix in the southwest, Atlanta in the southeast, and Dallas to some degree, and that was, that was it. You know, now that Charlotte is a much, it you know, probably competes better than Atlanta and those types of things. Yeah. So I think you just got to have the talent development, the housing, and, and you know, you have a lot of other great things, but it, it, it's really about investing in talent development, investing in housing, and making sure the companies that are here uh, are as appreciated as the companies you attract. One of the tough things is everybody gets focused on the next shiny penny, and I, that's the job of a lot of people, and it's good. But you've got to remember that we have 16,000 people here, and you really want us to put that next 1,000 jobs here. Likewise, with Marvin as headquarters of that tech center. That tech center could have gone a lot of places, and so the key is to work with the companies that are here and make sure you're caring you're care and feeding that. Well, everybody in the world's focused on AI or focused on this. You're saying, wait a second, and I have had this discussion in other states. You know, people who work in call centers and stuff are incredibly important employees. They're not going away soon. And if you have those, they're installed bases of thousands of people. And they start at $45,000 a year out of high school. That's a pretty good combo. Right, right. And you might get one biotech company or one AI company, and it might get there. The other 400 might fail. And right. so you got to be careful to keep the balance yeah. of those big employers because you need big, big amounts of jobs. Right. How about you, Marvin? No, I agree. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've lived in recently uh, Atlanta and Dallas. 
and my daughter goes to college in Nashville. And, and when you think about infrastructure investment, you can see the pluses and the minuses in, in those three cities because of the economic growth that's occurred you know, over the last 25 years. And Nashville now is suffering through you know, a lack of infrastructure investment uh, that's, that's really creating not only traffic congestion, but it's also you know, creating lifestyle changes just because it's just so difficult now to get around the city. And for someone who grew up in Tennessee, you know, to see what's happened to a city like Nashville, uh, on one hand is impressive, but the other hand, you, you, you look at the, the planning gaps that they had in the infrastructure, and we just want Charlotte to learn from those mistakes of cities that grew really quickly. Uh, Atlanta is still trying to catch its infrastructure up you know, to its population. And, and I, I, think, I think those things are important, and, and obviously just the continued investment in the education system. I mean, for some of us who are fortunate enough to travel around the world, you, you can understand that, that the investment you know, in STEM is gonna be so critically important for the future of our country. Right. Uh, and, and it's something that, that all companies uh, in Charlotte uh, should continue to work with all of our partners here you know, in our public school system. And I know this is a huge initiative for you, Rick, and, and you're like a champion uh, of this, especially in, in underserved areas. And it's something I think we all should, should lock our arms and be committed to because that will be the determining factor of the future of this city. We have to invest in institutions that make a city a great city. But the reality is, a great city has great arts institutions, great museums, and great infrastructure of that nature behind it that makes it just a, a magnet for attracting people and, and, and keeping them here. So you have all the nuts and bolts stuff, education. And the second thing is, the, the, and I've, you've seen this play out, you know, the idea of what Gene's doing with the medical school and, and, and uh, it'll benefit the whole community, but that, that has an, an element of economic throughput Absolutely. and weight and growth that you can't fathom. And, and you know, I've seen this in other cities, and obviously, you know, like in Rhode Island, where we have a medical school, and it, it's been trying to get the hospitals to merge and all this stuff over the years to create the scale that you yeah. have. It, we have a luxury here. We've got the scale, and it, it, it'll provide a, you know, a great lift of another industry on top of it. So I think don't forget the education institutions also have the sort of spin-off right. question to them. But also, let's not forget the arts and sciences. We have to endow these institutions to be of the reputation and, and, and capabilities that this, this community deserves to make it a great place to live. Look, just, just a, a finer point on what you guys said. I think we have some huge competitive advantages. Our airport is a huge advantage. Our yeah. weather is yeah. a huge advantage. Universities, while not in Charlotte itself, but in the surrounding region and market is a huge advantage. I think the culture of Charlotte in itself I think the kindness that in general this city has, and, and it's, it's a huge advantage. I think planning is important. I think mobility will be critical, I think, in addition to the things that you mentioned, but I think it's our next decade is our decade yeah. to really kind of continue to do this. Yeah. All right, so I'm, uh, I'm gonna take it a little more personal to close out. I see we have a handful of minutes. If you were not the CEO of Bank of America, what would you be doing, Brian? Uh, well, I, I gave, I gave up because I'm not big enough to get up my professional uh, athlete aspirations. So, uh, a I'd realistic answer. I'd, I'd love to be an architect, actually. Really? And my brother is an architect, and oh, cool. I always think that the, the, I just don't have the design talent. Huh. Um, I might have, and but it would be fun. I, I think to watch 
a great architect or even a, a, a great architect work and see what comes out of that mind and then it ends up in form and function is just fun. So I, that's awesome. that's, I'd be an architect. How about you, Marvin? I'd probably be a professor or teacher at a small university uh, trying to get our young people ready for what's facing them in the real world and how they can take advantage of the incredible advantages we have to be fortunate enough to be born in this country. That's cool. I mean, we got a lot of things that we'd like to make better in this country, but it's still the best place in the world to live. And there's no way a guy that looks like me could be in the position that I'm in, if not for the fact that I am blessed with God's grace and I'm in a country that affords the opportunity for people like me to be successful if you do things the right way and you have a great support system around you. And, and having the ability to inspire that, inform that, uh, and teach that would be something that I'd probably be spending time on. So we get to ask you, because not only- Ah, uh, <laughs> this is my show. Of course. That was, yeah. yeah but what, I think you should have to answer that's that. A great, that's, a, that's a great final That's what it says on the monitor question. if you're asking. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, uh, no, I'm going to change your question. Okay. So, well, last question. I, we have a minute, and I really want to ask you this. You guys um, have been in your jobs for a while and have been very successful, and you're very committed. You're not going anywhere. But why do you put up with the stress and the demands <laughs> in your lives still? What is it that you get out of what you do that makes you pay that price? Marvin? You know, I just I get out of bed every day regardless of the issues I'm facing just incredibly thankful. Uh, thankful that I have the ability to impact the lives of 300,000 plus people, uh, hopefully in a positive way. And when people ask me all the time, why am I not more outspoken on issues of the day and political points, I tell them that in my life I have two, I have two groups of people required to listen to me. The people who are employees of Lowe's because they have no choice and my two children because they're still on my payroll. <laughs> and they have no there, is, there is no one else required to listen to anything I have to say or any opinion I have, but I still have passion for what I do. I enjoy it. I feel like I'm still making a difference and we still have work, work to be done. Amazing. Right? I, I, in the end of the day, we have a great team and being able to position that team to do what they do for clients you know, for communities, for shareholders, for each other, is just unbelievable. And right now, uh, over at the Corporate Center, we have in the diversity inclusion and the volunteer winners from around our company. And so we do an awards every year for the, those groups, and they're nominated by their peers, and they're here. There are teammates from India that have never left the country. They're here in Charlotte because their peers said what they did for DNI or volunteer, depending on the award thing, and they're here to celebrate with us. And if you walk in that room with them and see just the spirit of which they can go and do great things in the world because they work for Bank of America, that keeps you going. No matter what goes on, you know, testifying in front of the Senate, uh, dealing with uh, issues of moment, travel, all you have to do is go look at that team and just see the fire in their eyes to go out and make the world a better place and do it off the Bank of America platform, off what we can do. It just makes it easy. Well, I hope they realize that Charlotte is not like the rest of America, so uh, that'll be a great first impression. Look, 
This was a ton of fun. I think we can go for hours. I will close out with a thought, which is we should not take for granted what happens in this city, and we should double down. I've been here 24 years. I think this city could be the best city in this country by all standards, and I think that should be what drives us. So thank you, everybody. Amen. Amen.